Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, folks, my season has finally kicked off, and it feels great to be back in the saddle. That's both, both speaking figuratively and literally. If you're tired, of course, of lugging around heavy, bulky tree stands and would like to hunt lighter and more mobile, or maybe you just want to feel like a tree ninja, then you need to check out the Tethered Mantis Saddle and the Predator Platform. Head to tetherednation.com, that's T-E-T-H-R-D-N-A-T-I-O-N.com for all your saddle hunting info and release your inner tree ninja. First thing I do in the morning before a hunt is, of course, I have to have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there probably feel the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and, of course, donates 10% of their profits to conservation organizations who are helping us to secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 139. Today I'm joined by Don Higgins for part two of this DIY Report miniseries, and today we are picking Don's brain to understand his approach to preseason preparation. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're all doing well out there. I'm pretty stoked because my hunting season finally came in. Uh, officially kicked off here this past Saturday. Was in a tree with my buddy Wilson. I actually didn't go out and hunt. Um, well, I shouldn't say I didn't go out and hunt, but I, I wasn't carrying a bow. Um, I, the property where I have a couple deer that I'm interested in, or at least you know, a terrain feature where some decent deer are showing up, where mature deer are hanging out, or at least using... Um, I needed a different wind and, uh, yeah, I'm trying to hold true at least here at the beginning part of the season where I'm not 
um, I'm not making some fatal mistakes I think that I've made in years past. So I know you've heard me talk about having burner properties. Uh, I have a couple of those. Um, but instead of going and hunting those, you know, I, I decided, you know, to go film my buddy Wilson. He had a deer that, um, he had eyes on and, uh, had a pretty good morning pattern that he'd been working on with this deer. He'd been watching him, glassing him, had some trail camera inventory from him, actually glassed him a couple times, watching him kind of come out of the food, heading to back, back to bed. Got to say like the setup's pretty dynamite. Um, we actually saw a buck, uh, which was, you know, I think we had him at like eight yards or something like that. And then a doe. Um, and we actually, he put eyes on, um, his, his shooter or his, his target deer. Uh, I forget. I think it was somewhere between 50 and 70 yards out. He had him in the binos and he was making his way toward us. Um, and then for whatever reason, um, you know, he got in behind some, we were set up in a cedar, like a cedar thicket. Um, and, uh, something happened between the time we were able to see him or glass him. Um, and to when we thought he should be kind of passing by something happened in between there and he ended up changing course and he never did. He never did come by. Um, we had a good win for the setup. You know, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember back and I feel like I was, I was dropping milkweed checking the wind and I feel like I did it right after he was, you know, he gave me the signal like, Hey, I see him. He's out, he's out here and he's working his way toward us. And, and based on the timestamps that he had for, you know, when he was seen and when he was glassing, you know, the time of the morning and then kind of marrying that with what he had seen on some of the trail camera pictures for a timestamp where he was at and where we were set up. Like it should have been maybe another, you know, 20 minutes or so until he would kind of make his way toward us and which would have put him right, you know, on, on track with what, you know, has held true for, for Wilson from what he's been seeing. And about that time, I feel like the wind switched. I, I'm trying to remember if I dropped milkweed right at that time, but, um, the wind switched the complete opposite right about that time. And I don't know that he was, my fear was that he wasn't down, I guess, below us far enough and was kind of crossing where the, the wind had switched on us potentially. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Cause he was on, he was on track to kind of make the move and set up where we thought he was going to set up. Um, unless he caught a little bit of our wind and it literally switched from like three minutes. Um, and then the wind switched back and behaved the rest of the morning as we thought it would. Um, but that might've been just enough to, to save that deer from, from an arrow. So that's uh that was my opening day, opening day hunt. Then of course I had some, <clears throat> I had some, uh, some business duties to tend to with the coffee company that afternoon. So I didn't get out for an evening hunt, but of course it heated up here as well. Um, so I wasn't necessarily looking to go fill a doe tag either in the heat, just going to be completely honest. I didn't want to have to scramble and try to try to get that thing taken care of based on the temperatures that we were going to have. And it's, it's kind of a bummer, man. This, you know, the last week leading up to the opener, we were getting some really nice, cool temperatures, you know, where we were getting, you know, the highs and we're like 71, 72, which were awesome. And then of course, you know, the hunting season comes in and, um, you know, we have 85 degree days today. It's, I think it's the highs 88. And I think we're actually even tickle 90 here at the beginning part of the week. Um, so I'm hoping that we get some cool, cool temperatures here soon to, to kind of make it feel like hunting season. I'm not saying that you can't kill deer in warm weather. Cause you certainly can. You can look on Instagram or Facebook and there's people killing big deer or good deer all over the place in, in warm temperatures. Um, but for me, I just didn't have the, have the right wind. And it looks like I'm, I think Tuesday morning and Friday morning, it looks like I'm going to have the, the wind that I need to hunt this one particular setup um, for this one particular buck. So I'm hoping that that holds true. Um, cause you know, I, I do have this, this particular area. I am getting good activity in, in morning <clears throat> in shooting light. Um, so I'm going to kind of use, you know, what, you know, John and I've talked about in the past where I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive and I'm going to hunt morning setups whenever I have a deer that's killable in the morning, which, uh, I do at this point. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and make, a make a plunge into it and see if I can't, uh, 
see if I can't make it happen. But other than that, it's uh, it's it's full go now with deer season, which I'm pretty pretty excited about. Lip, uh, licking my chops, of course, to get ready to go to Iowa here. It's uh, hard to believe it's just a little bit more than a month out, and I'll be on the road to uh, on the road to Iowa. But uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get cracking. I'm not gonna say belabor this up front because someone called me out on Instagram as that being my catchphrase. So I'm gonna try to refrain from saying that. But today. We have a super cool show. Uh, we have uh, I have Don Higgins on for part two of his DIY report mini series. And if you recall the first, if you didn't listen to the first one, go back and listen to that one. I think it was episode number one thirty six. Um, and what we're doing is is just kind of picking Don's brain and getting an understanding of how he likes to approach the season during different times of the year and what his process is, what he's looking for, what he's focusing on. And so the first one, you know. If I'm not mistaken, I think we really kind of focused on, I'm just looking to make sure I'm correct here. We we focused on uh, late season, how he's kind of approaching like the winter months and stuff like that. Season has just ended. What are you doing in the, in the timber or otherwise to prepare yourself for a successful upcoming season? And so this part two, what we're going to talk about today is what he does and prioritizes during the spring and summer. Now I know a little bit of this might be a late information, so you'll want to <clears throat> put this in the mental Rolodex for next year. Um, and then for those of you that maybe, you know, the season doesn't start until the beginning of October, I think the statewide opener in PA, I want to say is like October 5th ish. Um, some of this stuff may still apply to you. I think that what you'll hear from Don is that, you know, a lot of what he's doing this time of year is he's trying not to, to be in the woods a whole lot this time of year. Of course, I think that's what the smart money's at, but he does have some things that he likes to do in the spring and, uh, and we'll talk about, and we'll talk about those. So with that, we'll go ahead and get, uh, get started and jump right in with Don Higgins as always. Thank you all for listening, and good luck in the timber. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, and we're still here with uh, none other than Mr. Don Higgins doing this DIY report. How are you doing, sir? Great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, and uh, so the first session we did, we were talking a, a little bit about the postseason, right after the, you know, following the hunting season. Um, and this next session, we want to talk a little bit about spring and getting into early summer. Cause that, you know, for a lot of guys, and I think we touched on it in the last segment too, you know, a lot of guys, that's when they really kind of ratchet up, um, you know, their, their, their whitetail work, if you will. Um, and I know just from the last segment that we did, it's, you know, you get a lot of stuff done, you know, you'd like to have your stands in the timber way early, um, trying to make as little intrusion as possible as, as the, as spring green up kind of happens and, 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 and so forth. But, you know, at, at this point in the year, I know, you know, as I'd mentioned, folks are doing a lot of work to putting out mineral, they're prepping trees, you know, uh, they're trying to get their food plots in and, and so forth. But at this point, you've already kind of, you know, already kind of targeted a deer and are kind of ready, ready to roll, right? At this point, you kind of know who who's around from last year and you have your, you know, the Don Higgins hit list, if you will, uh, to a degree, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, by by the time late spring rolls around, you know, I've collected those trail cameras uh, about the time bucks shed uh, their antlers. And I know which bucks are still alive and which bucks I can be looking for in velvet that summer. Mm-hmm. So I, from, a strat- from a strategy perspective, and in, in, in particular with Habitat, you know, I think I read recently... You were writing something about, I think it's, now correct me if I'm wrong, I might have the, I might have the name of it wrong, but you were talking about a killing path uh, versus mowing paths and in, in, in tall grass for, for mature bucks. So, you know, can you kind of explain what that is and where you kind of came up with this, this approach? 
Yeah, actually, it's probably been close to 25, maybe even 30 years ago, but at least 20, 25 years ago. Uh, I was in a stand in November. There was a hot doe come through the woods, and she's got a buck that I wanted to shoot behind her. And that, that buck and that doe was around my stand for more than a half hour, and I could never get a shot at that buck because every time he stopped, he was in thick brush. And there was plenty of open areas. I could have shot that doe 20 times. <laughs> but that buck, whenever he, he, he wanted that brush right up against his side, he, he didn't want to stop in the open, and he wouldn't stop in the open. He, he just insisted on being in his, the most cover that he possibly could um, while still staying close to that doe. And, you know, I took note of that. And, and in the following years, I noted more than once the mature bucks just will not follow mowed paths like other deer do. They, they want that cover, thick cover, right up brushing their sides. And, uh, you know, on my farm, I've got a lot of, of the warm season native grasses, tall switchgrass fields and such that years ago I would mow paths through them. And, you know, lo and behold, the, the does and younger bucks, they would follow those paths just like a highway through those fields. <laughs> but the mature bucks never did. I would see the mature bucks from a stand crossing those fields or working through those fields or whatever, but they never use them mowed paths. They wanted to have that switchgrass right up against their side. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got to thinking, you know, and, and I, in fact, I have a mowed paths in, in the grass fields or anywhere on my property for a few years now because of that. But I got to thinking, so if they're not going to follow those mowed paths, is there anything I can do to help direct those mature bucks past my stand? because the mode pass certainly weren't working and the deer wanted to still have that cover on their side. So I got to thinking, well, how about if I just spray, you know, a herbicide like Roundup or whatever and kill the vegetation in a real narrow path, say maybe a foot, 18 inches wide, where there's a buck can walk down it and he's still got, you know, the, the grass or the brush or whatever rubbing against his side. And uh, so I've been doing that for a few years and that works like a charm. Hmm. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, I made a post about that that you're referring to on Facebook and uh, and even showed some pictures and things and got all kinds of, of responses. And some guys were saying that it was garbage because they've seen mature bucks follow mode paths. Well, mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying that it'll, it'll never will it happen. Right. You know, there, there's going to be exceptions to every rule, but, you know, the, the bucks that do follow mode paths, well, I guess the guys that are mowing paths, they're going to kill them. Right. But what about the 80 or 90% of mature bucks that refuse to follow that mode path? Mm -hmm. Those guys are going to totally miss it. Yeah. And what I want to do is I want to maximize my chances at every single mature buck I'm hunting. Right. Uh, spraying those paths has, has proven to be a real game changer because you can direct those deer right past your tree stand. Yeah. And I mean, there's some really thick cover. Yeah. And, and I mean, and deer. You know, I, I saw that post and I just thought it was kind of, I thought it was interesting, you know, all the, all the, the, um, differing of opinions, I guess, if you, if, if you will. Um, but it, it just seems to, it makes sense. Cause I mean, the, the mowing paths thing, sure. They, they, they may follow them. Then I, I kind of subscribe to the same thing that you're kind of talking about here, right. Where it's, you know, sure. You know, a, a blind squirrel will find a nut every once in a while. Right. So you have these exceptions where a deer will follow that mode path or mature buck will follow that mode path. But in the same breath, deer are always looking for cover. 
So that mature buck that followed that mode path would also be inclined to take the path of release resistance if he had more cover still. Right. So it's exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you're just kind of sweetening the deal for him versus giving mm-hmm. him a highway to, to, to walk down. You're giving him best of both worlds in that sense, right? You're giving him a path of least resistance to use while you're allowing him to, you know, remain, co- remain covered up and feel good about where he's walking. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. make, makes sense to me. So I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hooked on it. I just need to, I just need a, uh, I just need a property to, to, to spray me some pads. <laughs> if I can work on yeah. that, then, then we'll be in good shape. Um, uh-huh. so I want to talk to you a little bit about your stand locations. Um, you know, I know that you like to hang, you know, early in the, or early in the year, right. You know, I know you like to try to stay out of the places you're going to be hunting and get things set up as, as early, you know, four or five months in, in advance. But for those folks who are out there that might still be, you know, or that will be hanging stands in the spring or early, early summer, you know, if you could just kind of talk me through how you pick a stand location and what kind of factors and what things you're thinking about when you're finding a, your, the location where you're going to hang your set, you know, just kind of walk me through what your thought process is. Well, first of all, access is everything. If you can't access a spot, it doesn't matter how good it is. Mm-hmm. If you can't access it without disturbing deer, it's worthless. Right. So access is everything. And basically I'm looking for areas where, where the natural terrain funnels deer through an area. Mm-hmm. Um, ravines, uh, creeks or rivers making a, a big sweeping bend. A lot of times there'll be a bluff mm-hmm. and uh, at the top of that bluff, you know, the deer pinched down. Uh, the top of a ravine close to a field edge. Uh, a lot of times the deer are pinched down. So I'm looking at areas where the, the deer traffic is naturally pinched down. And then I'm considering uh, where the deer going, where are they bedding, where are they feeding, what wind directions can be hunted from that stand. Um, is it better morning or evening? There's just a whole a lot of different factors that I'm, I'm considering. Right. But, you know, more than anything, I'm looking at terrain. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you, will you hang multiple sets, you know, or will you have multiple trees set up for multiple winds within one particular location? If, if a situation allows for it, or calls for it. Um, very rarely because usually the access is going to be an issue from one of the two. For example, if you wanted to set up on both sides of a pinch point, Mm-hmm usually access is only going to be good or it's going to be better on one side than it is the other. Right. And that'll be the side that I usually take. Right. But, uh, you know, picking stand sides, there's, there's no substitute for experience because it's just like when you see the right spot, it's, it's like I, I said in the last podcast, a light bulb goes off mm-hmm. and it, some of my consulting clients, you know, will send me a, pictures of bucks they've shot they'll say i shot this buck in that very tree where you hung the ribbon and told me to put my stand and i still don't know why you told me to put a stand there <laughs> and uh it's like you yeah you just can't you just can't uh substitute experience with anything else and i i can't even find the words to describe it when you see it you know it right it's it's so funny that you say that because it's you know whether i'm talking to you or, you know, and I, th- I think you, you know, 
well, I'm sure you know of him, but Dan Enfault, I'm not sure how, how much you know Dan or if you've ever spoke with him much at length. Um, but he's kind of, but he's kind of the same, the same way where it's like, you know, he can, you know, he just gets this sixth sense almost where it's like, this is where a big buck lives. You know, it's to the point I've told this story before where I was hunting a swamp and I had just started hunting swamps last year. Um, you know, and I had had an encounter with one of the better deer on that piece. And I was just getting, I had two really good deer in there, especially for Pennsylvania. And I was getting the slip. And I finally just was, you know, in the tree the one day and I text, text Dan while I was sitting there. I was like, Hey, this is what's going on. I mean, I didn't have to show him a map or anything. I just told him what I was seeing. And he was like, check the first transition in. He was like, I bet you're all your signs there. And sure enough, I checked the first transition in and that's where like all the action was, Uh (laughs) you know? So it's one of those things where it's, it's just that experience, right? Like he, just like you're saying, like you've seen it, lived it so many times where it's just innate. It just happens, you know? Um, yeah, I've I've known the name Dan Enfall for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I've never really corresponded with him, but we've shared a few messages back and forth on Facebook. And mm-hmm. it's just been in the last year or so that I've really paid attention to his writings. And every time I read something he writes, it's like, man, I I could have wrote that. That's I agree with every single word <laughs> that guy just wrote. I, right. It's it's really it's it's kind of funny that you know once you reach a certain level you can tell the real deal from the pretenders. Yep. And and Dan is the real deal. I have, I've never met the man in my life, but I guarantee he's a real deal. I can just tell it by the way he talks. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll say this. Like I feel, you know, having this podcast has afforded me a lot of, um, you know, opportunities to talk with some folks who I otherwise probably would not in a million years get a chance to talk with like yourself, you know what I mean? And, you know, feel uh, grateful that I, I, that I get a chance to, you know, pick someone's brain who's been doing it as long as you or as long as Dan. Um, you know, I, I don't ever claim to be anything special. I'm just, my goal is just to try to learn every year as much as I can. And, uh, and then mm-hmm. it, when guys who are as experienced as you guys are, if you're willing to keep me with company, you know, keep company with me and share it with me, then I'm, I'm all ears and, and willing to listen. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like yourself, like you guys are two of the realest deals that uh, I've had the opportunity to kind of talk to in the in the whitetail world. Um, you know, and that's just not me saying that. I mean, there's a lot of you don't need my endorsement. <laughs> there's a lot of folks I think probably yeah. feel the feel the same way. Um, but uh, you know, I'm curious. You know, I was watching some YouTube videos. Just I, I've been consuming a little bit of hunting information from some fellas I like to follow. You know, watching some of their hunts from previous years and stuff like that, and. I'm always curious, you know, when guys hang sets or, you know, when they're getting into their tree, how much they prioritize cover and how much they trim. Are you a, are you a guy that likes to trim a decent amount of lanes and doesn't want to let shot opportunities go by? Or do you kind of, I guess, uh, prioritize cover when you're in the tree versus, you know, wide open shooting lanes? What's the, what are your thoughts around that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I think it's a balance. Um, you've got to be hidden in that tree. If you, you can't just be like stuck on the side of a telephone pole. Right. Yeah, you, you need some cover. Um, but at the same time, 
you want to be able, when a deer comes along, you want to be able to get a shot at him. And that's one reason I get my stands ready in the late winter. You know, the leaves are off the trees. You're seeing everything as it'll be during hunting season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember years ago when I would hang stands in the summer, right before season, you know, you'd get in there and you'd trim a bunch of lanes and things. Then when the leaves fell off, I mean, you felt naked. You was on the side of that tree. You weren't <laughs> hit at all. Right. So, uh, th- there's a balance. You, you got to be hit, but at the same time, when a buck comes in, you want to make sure that you've got ample opportunity to shoot him. Right. And how many, I mean, how many sets do you think you hang in a year? I mean, are you hanging, is it, you know, I know you hunt, hunt multiple properties and so forth. I mean, you hang in 15, 20, it's uh, what's the number? Oh, uh, I mean, like right now, if season open tomorrow, I could, I could choose from probably about, 40 different stands yeah that's a lot of uh that's a lot of ha- that's a lot of hanging a lot of trimming work there right yeah and you know a lot of them are are like i've got ladder stands that have been there for years mm-hmm. and uh it just depends on the tree and mm-hmm. i i don't go to every single stand every single off season um, right right basically i'm looking at my trail camera pictures if i think there's a buck on this property that could be a shooter next year if he just puts on 20 inches or whatever. So the, those are the properties I'm paying attention to. I'm looking at the bucks I've already located and that are potential shooters and where they live, and that's the, that's the stands I'm focused on. Right. So that's that's a good segue into, into trail cameras, right? Because I had read something recently that you had written, and you were talking about what time of year you like to put your what time of year you like to put your cams out and and why that time of year is when you prefer to do it can you kind of talk a little bit about you know when you like to hang your cameras and and why that specifically that timing is is when you like to do it yeah i try to get mine out about the first of july and the reason i don't put them out before that is the bucks just aren't the racks aren't developed enough to be able to tell individual bucks Mm. and uh or how how big a buck is really going to be, how many points he's going to have. And by the 1st of July, early July, you you got a pretty good idea how a buck's going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I wait. And the other thing is, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that the first time you hunt a stand is your best chance to, to kill a buck from that stand. Right. And it's the same way with a trail camera. I can't tell you how many cameras I've hung over the years and got a, a mature buck's picture, but I only got his picture there one time. Hmm. And after that, he knew the camera was there, and he wasn't coming back through. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go and get his picture, you know, the 1st of June when he's barely got a rack, mm-hmm. and educate him, and then he doesn't come back, and, you know, I, I don't have any idea how he finished out. I want to wait till there's enough antler there. I know what he's going to be. Right. Now, I mean, are you... Are, at this point of the year, I guess, you know, let's talk maybe like later, later summer, you know, are you using, are you a, are you a mock scrape guy or you, or you don't fool with them much? Uh, I use rope scrapes, you know, where you hang the rope from a branch and, and, uh, I, I put those out, you know, early in the, in the, or in the winter, right after season, let them weather all summer. Um, a lot of times when I'm putting my trail cameras out in the summer, I'll take a, you know, a small, spray bottle of Roundup herbicide. Mm-hmm. And if I'm putting cameras in the area of those ropes, I'll spray a three or four foot circle underneath those ropes to kill the vegetation. And, 
and then uh, about the first of September and through the first of October, I'll transition my trail cameras from summer feeding areas to fall rutting areas, and I'll put them on those rope scrapes and put some sand on the rope and mm-hmm. uh, good way to inventory the bucks that are on the property. Right. And what kind of, what scent are you, you using? I know you've, you've had deer in the past. Are you using your, your own Don Higgins formula? No, I haven't had uh, captive deer for a couple of years now. I'm using Smokies. It's made, uh, okay. by Smokey McNicholas, uh, trapper in West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've used his stuff in the past. Yep. It was the one time I actually had a little, I got a little pre-orbital lure from him a couple of years ago whenever you were still able to use it and well, the part of PA that our family farms are in and actually had some success with it. So it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, that's one of the things I'm kind of getting ready to try this year is, um, you know, I've not had a ton of success with mock, mock scrapes. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. It's, do you think that, that mock scrapes sometimes work a little, you know, better just in general in areas where they're getting a little less pressure and less guys are using lures and scent in the, in the timber? Cause I've, I've always, I've tried mock scrapes in the past and maybe I'm just not doing them right, but I don't seem to get nearly the activity that, you know, my, my friends out in the, the Midwest get, you know, and I just, I kind of was started thinking about it and I was like, you know, I wonder if it's because every, you know, you know, you know, Joe Schmo in the woods, you know, at that time of year is out in the woods, stinking it up, you know, putting out cameras and, you know, hanging stands, you know, late in the summer and putting up their, you know, putting out their mock scrapes and stuff like that and, and starting to educate the deer. And then they kind of learn that, that, scent is not only the scent of a human but then the scent of a deer is associated with it or pre-orbital lore or or urine or whatever you're using and then they kind of know that like hey this might be a false positive here what do you think well with mock scrapes location is everything so mm-hmm. if, if you've got them in a good location where the deer should be hitting them um the reason i use smokies well besides the fact that it works and i think one of the reasons it works so well is it's not everybody in the woods is carrying it it's you got to order it from him. There's, you can't go down to Walmart and buy Smokies. So, right. you know, I don't want that buck to smell something that he smelled last week with some guy that was sitting there smoking cigarettes as he made his mock scrape. Uh, I want it to be a totally different odor. Um, right. And odds are nobody in the areas I'm hunting are using Smokies. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that's one reason it works so well. Right. Are you using pre-orbital or is it or uh, urine for your scrapes? Uh, I've used every scent that that Smokey makes, and I I don't know how many he's got, probably half a dozen. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them has worked fine. In fact, they work great. So I I don't think that which one is is real critical. Okay. Um, I I think the big thing is, like I said, nobody else in the area is using it. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it sometimes pays to be the the uh, the odd man out, right? Especially with those types of things. Mm -hmm. So. So, yep. so I think this is the last question for this, this uh, particular seg- segment, but as it stands right now, you know, we're here in, in August, um, what does your, uh, target, li- uh, target list look like for, you know, this year and, and what's your, what's your criteria this year for, to make the, uh, the Higgins hit list? Well, boy, that's a good question because <laughs> I've got trail cameras out. I haven't even checked yet. Uh, I've been so busy on the road, uh, Right. I think in the last month, I've I've done seminars in Kansas, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, and I just came back from two different. I've, I've been in Texas twice in the last two weeks. I <laughs> nice. uh, still got to go to Pennsylvania, Indiana this coming weekend. Uh, so I've got cameras I haven't even checked yet. 
Nice. Um, I can tell you so far, I've been pretty disappointed. I was wondering, you know, when we have a good growing season for our crops, it's also good for, for antler growth. Mm-hmm. You get those steady rains through the summer. Yep. And it seems like the bucks are a little better that year. And I've, I've been wondering, you know, with all the rain we had last spring, how it was going to affect antler growth. Cause I know the crops in my part of the Midwest are at least 30 days behind where they normally are this time oh. of year. Okay. And, uh, from what I've seen with my cameras, there's been a lot of bucks that, uh, I was hoping would put on, uh, you know, more points and more inches for sure. And a lot of them have actually have fewer points than they had last year. Wow. They still have the same frames, but they had a big frame before they still have a big frame or maybe with less points and, and less total inches. So, right. um, you know, a year ago I put a blog post out where I predicted uh, there'd be some giants killed mm-hmm. uh, just because of what I was seeing. We had a great growing season a year ago. Almost every acre of corn in my part of Illinois made over 200 bushels an acre. and. Hmm. A lot of soybeans were over 80 and even some over 90 bushels an acre. Wow. Just the best growing season I ever remember. And the antler growth on the bucks was just fantastic as well. And, and I predicted that. And lo and behold, you know, 50 miles from my house, they killed the world record non-typical. Wow. Uh, the Luke Brewster buck is yeah. not that, it's not killed not that far from me. Well, this year I'm going the opposite direction. And from what I've seen, and, and you know, one man has only got limited uh, resources, you know, so it's far from a, a scientific uh, conclusion. But my opinion, based on what I've seen, is that the, the buck antler growth this year is down from what it typically is. Okay. So, but you still have some, uh, you still have some, some fresh cameras. It sounds like that you've not had a, it, your busy schedule has kept you from, from checking them. So it sounds like you might have an ace, an ace up your sleeve yet. Well, I'm hoping. I mean, there was a, a 200 inch buck that uh, that I've been watching for a couple of years. Wow. Um, I get his picture in the summer, but then he, he relocates about the time he sheds velvet, and I know where he goes, but I just can't get permission to hunt around where he goes. <laughs> so uh, this year, he totally disappeared on me. I, I hmm. I've got probably six, eight cameras where I've always got his picture in the past. I don't have a single picture of him yet. Hmm. And there's other bucks. Uh, there was a buck that I intended to probably target this year. Uh, was going to be a big typical. Probably you know, he was in the 170s easy last year, and I was hoping maybe he would hit 180 as a clean typical. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's smaller than he was last year. Really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other bucks have fewer points than they did last year. I had a buck that uh, called the fork time buck. Hey, it's always had fork G2s. <laughs> Uh, this year he don't have four G twos. He's only got four points on one side where he's always had five. Huh. And uh instead of having the forks on both G twos, he's just got a flyer off of one G two. No doubt it's the same deer. Right. But uh I don't think he'll score as good as he has in the past. And uh, it's just been buck after buck like that. Wow. Yeah, I uh I'm not a I don't have the uh I don't have a beat on those caliber of deer here in PA, but there's, there's for me, at least there's, there's two deer that I actually got on camera this year that I'm pretty excited to, uh, to hunt. Um, you know, one's a new piece of public property that I scouted and found a, found a decent deer, um, which I'm pretty excited about. And then one, I found sheds from one last year 
that I'm pretty excited about. Then I've got him on camera now a couple of different times showing up. So, and I think, uh, well, I found his sheds where I think, I, I think where he's bedded or where he's using, uh, where he's bedding down. So I'm, uh, I'm hopeful to be able to put a plan together on for, um, for one of those two. But, uh, I think that does it for part number two. And, uh, if you, if you, uh, if you're will, if you're a willing participant, I think we'll, we'll plug plunge ahead to, uh, our last segment, part number three. Yeah. Sounds great. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Don for joining and, of course, thank all of you for listening. Just as a quick heads up, Don has a new podcast that's about to come out if it hasn't already released by the time that I put this podcast out. So if it is out, be sure to go check that out. If it's not out, be on the lookout for his episodes that will be forthcoming. Uh, you'll definitely want to give that a check. Uh, of course, Don is a wealth of knowledge, and he'll be sharing that on his uh, own platform going forward. Uh, you also want to check out his blog. There's a lot of great writing there. Uh, you know, I've, of course, found inspiration and, and pulled nuggets from that as well. And then, of course, check out his Real World Wildlife Products uh, website as well if you haven't already. Of course, if you haven't, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get all this great content delivered directly to your pocket in the form of an iPhone through iTunes and all the other places where you can find podcasts. Be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Open numbers, but I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.